Church, open your Bibles, please, to he, uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. All right, I want to kick things off with what I said last week, same lead-in, because it's more than just a lead-in, it's the truth. I need your help. I mean that. I need your help. There's a level of peace in my life that I have known that I want to know again. But there's something in my life that has become a direct threat to that peace. I don't believe at least yet that it needs to be eliminated from my life. But I do believe this. I need to manage it more thoroughly than I ever have before. To be quite frank, Jesus Christ needs to be Lord of my screens. And some of you this week have contacted me and said, yeah, me too. Jesus welcomes that. How do I know? Because of what he says through the Spirit in Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20. He says, don't you realize your body is a sacred place? The place of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see that you can't live however you please? Hunter read that in his text a few moments ago. Don't you see that because you're the temple of the Spirit, you can't live however you please? Squandering what God paid such a high price for. So... You let people see God in you and through you. Now, I don't know how you hear that, but I hear it this way. The Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have sacrificed everything for me to be in their family. And if that matters to me, they've asked me to do the same for them. To offer them everything that belongs to me, that matters to me in my life, for their purpose of bringing those who are far from God near to God, just like I was brought far from God, near to God. And a significant aspect of being in that relationship, the Bible tells me, is, is I can enjoy a life marked by joy and marked by peace. Well, I've been having some trouble with that lately. I've been having some anxiety in my life that's kind of had a low-level presence since the lowly trinity was introduced into my life. The television, the personal computer, and the cell phone all vie for a place in my heart that really only God deserves. I'm admitting that to you. Maybe you can to me also. The lowly three-in-one, which takes up residence in what we know as a smartphone, that television, that personal computer, and that phone happens to be now in this little device we can carry with us anywhere we go. Not sure that it needs to be with us, though. Everywhere we go. I'm finding out I'm not alone. As a matter of fact, in my research for this series, I found out that winning the war over anxiety has never been more difficult than this people group in this culture at this time in the history of the world. Outside of people who are actually in a war zone. That comes from psychological study in the amount of anxiety and depression that hangs on a people in a culture. Never has there been more of a greater degree of anxiety and depression than what we're experiencing here in our culture now. And we've never had, quote-unquote, more, especially when it comes to technology. Some way, somehow, researchers are beginning to see, because we've only had them such a short period of time, that these little devices here, instead of connecting us, drive us away from each other. Instead of connecting us with God, can drive us away from God. Now, as I said from the very first 
lesson in this series last week, they can also be devices that help us bring the kingdom of God to places we could never go without them. They can help disciple us. They can help encourage us. They can help inspire us. They can be a part of that bridge that effectively connects us to others in Christ we could never connect with if, however, Jesus is Lord of these screens. If he gets to guide, if he gets to direct, if he gets to drive how and when we use those screens. So this is the conversation we're having. And the scripture that we're having it from is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Because it's here that the Holy Trinity has something to say about this lowly Trinity in our lives. And you would assume, maybe at first glance, how in the world could the Scripture have much to say about something that's so modern? When this is so ancient, thousands of years old, and this technology is so brand spanking new. But what we're finding out with everything that we're dealing with in our lives in this culture is that this Word of God is a living Word of God and it supernaturally has a way to speak into practically every circumstance that we ever find ourselves in. Do you find that? Not like this if you do. Yeah, me too. So here again what Paul says to Rome. As a group of Christians there are struggling with how in the world that they stay allied with God, when they have allegiance towards God, when most of the world around them doesn't want to have anything to do with Him. He says, brothers and sisters, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And the church said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, but not just on our own. We come knowing that your spirit, that Jesus here, is here with us through your spirit. And also that some way, somehow... That Spirit's connecting us with other believers who also, with like minds and like hearts, are trying to ask you to be Lord of their screens. Father, I know the Southern Hills Baptist Church is wanting to do that. Whether they're talking about that today through their pulpit, through their classes, we know it's their heart to be Lord over their lives. Because we know that that's base level to what it means to be a Christian. It's to not just say, God, please save me, but please hear you be Lord of me. And so please knit our hearts together so that we could do this in a way that truly does billboard style advertise peace and joy and purpose that you can find in no other place except in Jesus Christ. Help us do that. For we ask it in his name and everybody said, Amen. How many of you remember playing with one of these as a kid? Anybody remember creepy crawlers? Yeah, it's coming back to you. Show me. Go ahead and switch to the box next. What they would do is they'd take that goo that's down there in the bottom of the picture there, put it in one of those molds that you just saw, and out would come one of these beautiful little babies. It was incredible for placing in a fourth grade girl's locker to show her how much you loved her. <laughs> Didn't work for you either, huh? 
They were unbelievable. We had so much fun with them. And there was Batman and there was G.I. Joes. You could make out of the, the creepy crawler goo that you had. And I think they've even got a modern version of it now. But it was an absolute blast when we were younger to play with. Paul says, be careful what mold that you get squeezed into. Be careful what you allow to make impressions on your life. Because he warns, if it's the culture who has less and less use for God and cares less and less about how he thinks people and relationships work, Paul says, be careful, your life will get a little creepy. Okay? If you allow that life to be impressed, to be molded by the world rather than his word, it can get a little creepy. That's why last week we offered you this, the seven-day detox, digital detox with your screens. And I don't know how many of you picked one up, but I hope that if you didn't last week, you'd pick one up. And it may have been my fault for not communicating clearly to have the guys at the back when we dismissed to hand them out to you. But we're going to have them there today, and hopefully you'll pick up one of those. Why would we do that? Because we want to actually take some action steps that make us aware of where we are in the usage of our screens. Next screen, guys. I don't know how you approach life change, but I approach it this way. First of all, I think you just need to be aware you need to change. Then you're going to have to put together some action steps to change, and I never want to make any change in my life without Almighty God involved in the whole process. But that's how I change. So last week we began by just making you aware of the place this cell phone has in your life, or any of the screens really has in your life. Here's what one sister emailed me. Let me get a drink of water here. Forgive me, I'm struggling a little bit with a head cold. And so some of this medication is drying my mouth out. So I'm going to say ahead of time, forgive my smacks, all right? And those of you on the front row, I'm sorry if anything flies your direction. She writes, I just emailed to say thanks for making me think about the amount of time I spend doing nothing on my phone. I seem to have several projects that I want to get done, but never have the time. I've managed to cut my screen time this week by 37%. Shocking to see some projects actually getting done around our house. And my life has been just fine not knowing what my friends are eating for dinner. She writes, as we continue to think and study on this subject, I'm going to be putting my phone down a little bit more and more each day. I'm putting it down today for the entire day. I admit that I won't turn it off completely. We have no landline in our home, and that's how my kids can reach me. And so it gives my heart palpitations to think I'm not available for my children. But I just wanted to let you know I'm enjoying the reflection on what I allow to control my life. I hear in that a sister who just wasn't aware of how much time she was spending on her phone and how much more time not being on the phone could give her to do other things. Score. And it did exactly what we hoped it would do. Just made her aware. Not some major transformations of her life, but just made her aware. That's the beginning of life change for anything, is just being aware of what's going on. She realized she was being pressed a little bit into the mold of a culture. All of a sudden now in her life is, is texting things or, or receiving information about what people are having for dinner. That didn't used to be in our life now, but it is now. And it really didn't matter that much. And so much of the stuff that we fill our screen time with really isn't helping much 
at all. If you didn't pick up one of the sheets about the seven-day detox, I want to encourage you to do so. The day one is just this simple. In case you're a little bit afraid of it, what could that be? Day one is just simply just going on your phone and finding out how much screen time that you're spending on it. You can, you can do that by either an app or an Android users or going to uh, settings and screen times. And it'll just tell you how much. That's day one. How much screen time am I using? Day two. Just avoid the use of screens two hours before you go to bed that night. Day three. Uh, before you read any screen, just read Romans 12, 1 through 2 to remind you of what God thinks of your screens. I mean, go about using your screens any way you want to. One day you're asked to keep your screens off during all meals. One day ends with actually letting go of all screens for the day. Not allowing them to have a presence in your life. It was scheduled for me to do this yesterday, but I was finishing up lessons yesterday. So I was on my screen for 10 hours. And so I didn't do yesterday. I'm going to be doing it on Monday. This isn't some legalistic thing. Move the days around if you need to. But I am asking you to make seven consecutive days to detox and just become aware of how much you're using all of your screens in your life. You say, oh, Jimmy, anybody could do that. Well, do it. Okay? Just do it. You say, well, what in the world is it going to prove? Maybe not anything. But it may prove that your phone is more of an addiction than it is an addition. And those are two different things. Here's a few statistics surrounding our screen usage that points toward addiction rather than addition in our culture. This generation is going to spend nearly 14 years of their lives connected to screens before they die. 14 years in front of a screen before you die. One study shows that 68% of 18 to 30-year-olds will not go one hour in a given day without checking their phone. Some of you right now can't help it. When I'm awake during the day, I doubt if there's an hour I don't check my phone. According to research, Morgan Stanley said 91% of smartphone users have their phones within arm's reach 24-7. Nearly 70% of smartphone users talk about the fact they will not go anywhere, including the bathroom, without it. This has almost become an appendage of many of us. Not true? Here's a question. How many of you here have left this at home and wherever you were at, turned that car around and immediately headed back to home? Now here's another question. How many of you here arrived where you were supposed to be, couldn't get back, and so you asked a family member to please bring you their phone? Okay. Did you know that if you're an average smartphone user, you pick up your phone an average of 80,000 times a year? Average. That's once every four minutes. Now, speaking for those of you who are older, I'll say this. It's probably true of most of us. The question has to be asked then, is our phones an addition or an addiction? Next screen. I found this two weeks ago as I was putting these words down. It all depends on how you see it. Addition or an addiction. Here's the definition of an addition. It's something that I possess in my life, something I own, something that assists me in my life, but an addiction owns my life. An addiction controls my life. It possesses me. 
So I'll ask it again. How would you describe your relationship with your phone? Addition or addiction? With this little addendum, would God agree? Addition or addiction? And would God agree? Now, I am not anti-screens. I'll say it again. We are not going to have a screen-burning party at the end of this series. Not going to do that. But we have to ask this question. Have we gone from watching those screens to worshiping them? Have we gone from trading God who has the whole world in his hands for a little device that we can hold in our hands? Church, Jesus called us to be temples. But I wonder if we've got our own little temples right here and we can carry them around with us any time we want and we can get to them almost any time that we want. And this is where we're worshiping. We're not just watching something, we're worshiping it. Paul's talking to a church in Rome who is surrounded by idols, false gods that people are bowing down to. Let me ask you this. I wonder when God looks down from heaven and, he, and we're telling him that no, we bow only to you, what does he see when we do this? Four times in an hour. 80,000 times a year. Does any one of us in this room who owns one of these, can we honestly say, I don't have time to bow my head in prayer when I'm bowing my head all the time from one of these? Those are questions I had to ask me. Paul says a saved life is a sacrificial life. And the only way in the world that I'm going to not be transformed into the world's mode, but rather transformed into God's mode, God's mode, is that I offer my bodies as a living sacrifice. That's my true and proper worship. Next slide, guys. But the temptation is going to be with us always, especially in regards to these, to conform to how the world uses these phones rather than to how Jesus would like to lord over those screens. And there ought to be a difference. Because there's a world out there who's far from God and we've pledged our allegiance to him and we're asking, would you please be Lord over everything in my life? That looks different than how we do sexuality, isn't it? When we practice it, when we're honored and we're blessed by it, that ought to be different with how we handle debt. That ought to be different with how we handle almost everything in our lives because so much of what the culture is about is themselves and it's about... Uh, more and it's about what I can get and, and what God's about is others and about what I can give and about sacrificing. And I'm telling you, it is a living sacrifice to not be pressed into that mold, but rather to be transformed into God's mold. It always will be. But Jesus assures us that there's more life here, not less. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. I'm offering you life. The other is offering to steal, kill, and destroy. And we're seeing this happen through this device. This isn't Satan, but Satan loves to use this thing. So would God if we'd make him Lord of them. So how do you avoid not being pressed into the world's mold? Answered by the renewing of your mind. That's how. By the renewing of your mind. Now, the word transformed is simply the word metamorpho. You've heard this before. I'm not going to stay on it too long. We learned about metamorphosis when we were in junior high school. 
a process of moving this crazy looking little caterpillar into this beautiful looking butterfly. Crazy process, but absolutely true. It's called metamorphosis. And God says, I want to do that with your minds. Minds that are bent on me and me alone and, and getting mine and, and making sure I'm bigger and you're smaller and, and, and getting instead of... And God says, can we change that to giving? Can we change that to you're more important than I am? Can we change that to he's God and not me? He says, that's what I want to do with that mind of yours. I, want to, I don't want it to be conformed to this world. I want it to be transformed and I need you to, to be ready to be renewed. How do you do that? I know this sounds old-fashioned, but more than any other word that you have in your life, that any, more than any other truth that's on your screen, you make sure this truth is on your screen. You make sure this truth is in your life. That's how he wants to renew it. That this has the last word over any other word that you ever put on a screen. There's a law in psychology called the law of cognition. And that law simply stated is this, you are what you think. If you agree with that, just nod this way. Well, some of you do. Most of us grew up here, you are what you eat. And that's true. But really, you are what you think. Now, this isn't new. You can go back and listen to it in the Peace Talk series. That was in the last two lessons that we talked a great deal about that because what we think has a lot to do with how much peace we enjoy in our lives. But there's another law in psychology we haven't talked about yet. It's called the law of exposure. The law of exposure says what you think about is determined by what you're exposed to most. And so your life is shaped by your thoughts, and your thoughts are shaped by whatever you're exposed to. Put those together, and here's what you come up with. Your life is shaped by your thoughts, and you think about whatever you're exposed to most. Now, if that makes some sense to you, do this. Okay. Most of you. That makes sense. The implications of how we use our screens with this is huge. Whether we are intentional or not, whether we mean to for it or not, what we are constantly surrounding our thought processes with, our minds and our ears, is shaping who we are becoming. What we're exposed to the most in music and in film and in, and in sitcoms and in Whatever you're reading, whatever you're, you're, you're surfing, whatever we're exposed to most is shaping who you are. Which is why Paul gives us a filter here. He gives us a filter that will allow us to use our screens to be transformed rather than being conformed. And he says, here's what you do. Make sure it's holy and pleasing. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your proper worship of anything. Now, that little filter there is a little strict for me. Just being honest. I wish the filter was, if it's not wicked, and if it's not offensive, then you just help yourself. I wish that was the filter, but it's not. The filter is, is what you surround yourself with needs to be holy and pleasing to God. So here's the question. Reviewing your content on those screens of your life this last week, is that how, we, how it's being described? Would it be described? Could it even be closely described? Holy and pleasing to God. I didn't say wicked or offensive. For the next couple of minutes, I want to challenge you 
to think specifically about your screen time. Again, I I may have said some of this last week. I don't know how much I alluded to. But if you've got one of these, again, on your iPhone, you can go to settings, and your settings will pull up something that looks like this. Go ahead, guys. And interestingly enough, I didn't even know it was there until I started doing the research for this series. But interestingly enough, you can find out how much time you're spending on that screen just on your phone. And it will also, by punching a little bitty um, set of words there, will also show you how that breaks down. How I'm spending my time with productivity, how much minutes are spent on entertainment, how many minutes are spent on social networking. It was hugely convicting to me just how much time I was spending on it. And maybe it will be for you. But also about where I was spending that time. Now, a great deal of my screen time is being spent on podcasts or music or sending encouragement to people that I know could use some For good, a lot of my screen time is that, but still there's that other, that big old chunk of doing not much of anything. That I went, wow, that's pretty big. Our screen time can be used for so much good, and yet, no matter how much good it's used for, even being on this theme is what we're finding out is so distracting, it is shortening the time span of how we can stay engaged with anyone for any length of time. On average, 45 notifications come to the average smartphone user in an hour. No, I'm sorry, it's a day. That would be a lot, 45 notifications in an hour. 45 notifications, beep, boop, whatever noise you've got, to let you know something's coming into you, please pick this up 45 times a day on the average. Some of those may be good. I get one that comes to mind. It's a, it's a Bible scripture verse every single day. That's a noise. I, I, or a buzz. I have my noises turned off. Or I get a buzz because it's 8 o'clock and, and I'm to pray for my girls, my wife and my two girls and their, my son-in-laws. I want to be involved in praying for them every single day at that particular time. There's a lot of notifications that come to my phone, but I wonder how helpful they are all the time. Research is saying not much. It brings about so many distractions. Very rarely does any human being now have two hours they put together towards any productivity towards their job. That's murder on a boss who's paying you for eight hours a day minimally. To be constantly distracted and interrupted by all of these notifications, it's hard to get any work done that really is reasonable for any Christian to be involved with. Whatever I do in word or deed, I'm to do as if I'm working for the Lord and to be distracted by so many of those notifications is just not right. This is not a teenage problem. This is an adult problem. This is a human problem. So much so I was shocked when this came out of the New York Times. The article's entire, I couldn't believe it, resist the internet. Here's what they said. I think it's right. Rouse Duthot. They are the masters we are not. They are built to addict us, madden us, distract us, arouse us, and deceive us. We primp and we perform for them as a lover. We surrender our privacy to their demands. We wait on tenterhooks for every like. The smartphone is in the saddle and it rides mankind. Now that almost sounds like some preacher said that. 
No, it was a professional journalist who probably has kids. Please, church, I'm begging you. And I'm saying that clearly. I'm begging you, stop and ask, am I being conformed to this world in regards to this? Or am I allowing God to transform me by the renewing of my mind? When it comes to debt, am I handling it wholly and pleasingly in a way that God would be honored? When it comes to my sexuality, am I, am I dealing with that in a way that's pleasing and holy to God? When it comes to how I and what I look at on that screen and what I put on that screen, is it holy and pleasing to God? That's the filter. Your best shot at filling your screens with God-honoring content and music and movies and podcasts and games and reality shows and sporting events, that promotes life. That's what God's trying to say to me. Maybe he's trying to say it to you. That's not what our culture wants to promote. And it's becoming more and more black and white what the world is promoting in regards to all those things I mentioned, sexuality and debt and marriages and relationships and what God has to say. It's becoming more and more clear that choices have to be made and they're not easy. That's why it's a living sacrifice. Because I want to say right up front, this is going to be challenging to do this with your phones, with your debt, with what you think about marriage, with what you think about how you raise your children. What are we surrounding our lives with? Whatever that is, that's what's changing and molding our thoughts. And whatever's changing and molding my thoughts is who I am. Here's my heart on this, and I'll sit down for this morning. I've got grandkids coming into this world. It's amazing how that starts to cause you to think through some things. It happened when my kids were coming into this world. Never has there been so much darkness so readily available at a human being's fingertips? That has me by the throat. Never has there been such life-destroying content that's been made available just one click away. Kids have the ability, adults have the ability by a phone to so brutalize a human being through a phone, they want to take their life and they've done it. Sex is happening through a phone. The porn industry is, is in the hundreds of billions of dollars worldwide and is just a snap, click away, or whatever you want to call it, by one of those devices for any kid of any age. And they're finding out ways every single day they can blow through your filters. I'm witnessing in my life the most gut-wrenching illustration of the old frog illustration. Remember that one? How do you kill a frog? How do you eat a frog? Well, first of all, you don't, you don't throw that frog in, in a pot of hot boiling water. What's going to happen? They jump out. Ah, that's not good. It's too hot. Not helpful. No, you, you place that frog in that nice, comfy, surrounding water at room temperature, and, and you start warming it up a little bit, and he starts singing, oh, a spa. How cool. And it's not long before that spa turns into something terminal. Before he even knows it and is aware of it. Man, I remember whenever this technology started to come into my life, I thought, oh, God, thank you for word processors. I didn't have to type anymore and use that squishy white stuff to correct the stuff that I wasn't getting right, which was a lot. All I had to do was type it and hit undo. What a beautiful button. Undo. 
and then save it right there in the hard drive that I could access it from anywhere in the world. I didn't have to be at my office to pull that thought or that, that, that funeral or whatever it was up because I had this with me almost anywhere I could wanted to go. And I had service. Started out incredible addition to my life. And then it began to become an addiction. Some would call the internet the beast. I don't believe that. I do believe he's left his mark on it in a huge way. And I do believe that God would like to leave his. But you know what? We're the ones who decide what goes on that screen any moment of any day. That's why he wants to be Lord of your screens. We're the ones who along with guns and along with sexuality, along with driving a car, along with alcohol, need to be setting some boundaries and some parameters about what this tool is used for. Because if we don't, like guns and sexuality and alcohol and driving, it will kill our kids. It will steal their lives. You've seen it. I'm just speaking it out publicly. Who's Lord of your screens? How in the world could anyone tell if they're just looking from the outside in? If they have a chance to piggyback on what your screen is, would they know that you are a child of the King? Would they know that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life by what they see on your screens? There's something about these devices that pull us to check update, scroll, wanting us to be connected to it all. And what we're finding out is, is that we're not able to handle it all. It's creating tons of anxiety and tons of depression. And what God wants to place in our lives is more peace and more joy than we ever could, but he's not going to compete with this. He won't. He won't. He wants me to choose to worship Him with every aspect of my life. A living sacrifice on the altar. He doesn't want me to treat this as an altar. He wants me to put it on the altar. He's called me not to worship this. Watch it occasionally, but not worship it. So, last week we gave you an action step to try on. Just to make yourself aware of what's going on with some of the digital stuff in your life. This week we want to up our ante's a little bit, something a little bit more. To help you move out of the mold of the world because some of that mold looks like, uh, I don't know if we have that picture of the family having dinner together. Did I leave that in there? Yeah. If this is what your dinner time looks like, we want to help move you out of that mold to where you actually have those people engaging with each other. What a novel idea. Engaging, talking about their day, doing some of the best forming and shaping that takes place in a child's life around the dinner table. So we want to help you move away from that mold and into a little bit different one. We want to do it with this. It's called the Be Present Box. Now that's a picture of the one that we have in our home. And I'm the one who asked for it because I'm the one who needed it most. Because I'm the one that has more contacts with people in the world who want to get in contact with me. And so a lot of that was interfering with my time with my bride. And she wasn't too happy with it. So I said, hey, here's an idea. Why don't we put together a be present box? Because the greatest present I can give you is my presence. And it is. Your greatest present you give to your wife or your children is not something you can buy online through Amazon. It's your presence. 
I only got one. Jerry always amens. Anybody else? Thank you. We're not sure of that, are we? So I'll say it again. The greatest present you can give is not something that you buy or purchase on Amazon. It's your presence. Amen? Yeah. Really is when it comes to life. Living it and handing it on. And so, we're going to invite you to uh, be a part of a contest. We're up in the ante here. We're going to invite you this week to make your own Be Present box. All right? However, whatever you want to look. We want you to take a photo of it and shoot it to me or to Vicky, Using a screen... Because we're not anti-screens here. And besides, we don't want all those boxes in one of our classrooms, all right? Might break it. We want you to use that thing. So put that together by next, actually by Friday. The date is actually Friday the 15th at noon. That's when our staff goes home. Go spend some time with their families. And so if you'll take a picture of your Be Present box and turn it in, we're going to give the winner, the ladies' Bible classes are going to be voting. Oh, did I ask you all about that yet? Well, you're going to be voting. And whoever wins gets a $75 gift certificate to whatever restaurant you choose. $75. I want to see some good-looking Be Present boxes, all right. What? Your cell phones. At dinner time. I was hoping somebody would ask me that. That's what goes in the box. Your cell phones at dinner time, and they're not to be touched until dinner's over. Because that's how you be present. We're going to talk next week about some, some just real simple principles for having one of these and honoring people with that in your pocket or your purse. The first one is just this. Be present. When you are in the presence of another human being, be present. Okay, Let them know that. By your lack of use of your cell phone. And one of the ways we're just going to stick our foot in the water is, is at our meal times, we're going to have our Be Present box done. And when mom and dad or kids walk in for dinner time, they go in the Be Present box until dinner's over. We can do that, can't we? And that, I think, will maybe help us move a little bit out of the mold of the world that we're being pressed into, thinking we've got to be at their beck and call to simply be at our families. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning because you're the only one who can make this work. Cleverness doesn't change our minds. All the the possible steps we could take on a sheet doesn't change our minds. It helps. It's you who does the transforming. And there are some of us coming this morning who are saying we need our screen time transformed. How we spend time on our screen. How often we're on our screen. Please help us with that. Please help us take a break uh, with the Be Present boxes so that we truly can be present. We love you, and we are glad that you made us a promise that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, you would be present. So we're going to offer a holy God as holy and as pleasing a worship as we can. Please receive it with joy. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said Let's stand and sing, church.